Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight, thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulchre. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defeatest them, defendest them. Let all them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. So this week in small group, we went over Psalm 5. Um, I just read it for you. And um, there, and now I'm going to kind of talk through what we talked about in our small group. Um, so basically we covered a couple of different things. Primarily we looked at the structure of the psalm and what that tells us about um, kind of the headspace, the trajectory of what David is trying to say here. And then we also talked a lot about prayer and what this psalm teaches us about prayer. Um, so let's start off talking about the structure. This psalm seems to be broken up into basically three large chunks. Um, and then those could be subdivided from there. So verses 1 through 3 talk from the perspective of David. Um, and then 4 through 6 talk about God's dealing with the deceitful. So that kind of forms one large chunk, I would say, but probably should be divided into two subdivisions. Uh, and then you have in the center, David's response. And then there goes back to the, um, back to the God's dealing with the deceitful. And then the response of the just at the end. So more like a five segment symmetrical psalm, which then has the middle is kind of the highlight of the psalm that says, you know, this is, this is the focus of what it's trying to teach you. And then the rest, the, the others, are building up to that and then kind of the <laughs> um, denouement from, from the middle. So let's just look at the first and the ending. Uh, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, 
My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. In the morning will I direct my prayer to thee and will look up. And then it ends. Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Um, and then the Lord will bless the righteous. He will favor with favor. He will compass him as with a shield. So this is kind of the, um, the first and the last talking about the righteous crying to God with an understanding that he will hear. And then, um, saying that, you know, God asking God to give, give ear. But then in verse three, my voice will thou hear in the morning. And then in verses 11 and 12, it says the Lord will bless the righteous. He will compass him as with a shield and he does defend them. And uh, so this kind of the front and the back show a dependence on God from the righteous. Then these middle parts, the, the middle and the, the second and fifth segment here, I'm sorry, second and fourth segment, they go, um, for you are not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. Leasing is uh, kind of like lies. Um, it's kind of like deceit, um, kind of like gossip. So that's my understanding of it. Uh, and then the Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. And then it talks about their, their mouth being an open sepulcher. So this is really, this is the imprecatory part of the Psalm in the, in small group. Um, one of the girls brought up, you know, our leader for the night said, this is an imprecatory psalm. And we all uh, kind of laughed about the big word. But it is. It's imprecatory. It's asking God to destroy the wicked. And I want to talk about that later. Um, kind of, if it's okay. We, we spend a lot of time talking about whether or not it's okay to pray about God destroying the wicked. And then the middle part, uh, the most, the kind of the center, the, the little nugget in the middle, it says... In verse 7, But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make my way, my, make, yeah, make thy way straight before my face. So there's actually quite a bit to unpack in that middle part here. Um, Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness Make thy way straight before my face. So David here is acknowledging that uh, it's God's righteousness that he needs and that it's God's way that he needs to walk in. He's not saying, you know, guide me on my path towards self-realization. He's saying, guide me in your way, in your path. And make it straight before me, you know, make, make it clear where I'm supposed to go. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, and yeah, this is, this whole middle part is talking about basically how everything belongs to God. I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy and in your fear will I worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness and make your way straight before my face. So 
I think this middle part here really speaks to what David, um, what David wants and his acknowledgement that God is Lord of his life. And this, this brings us to one of the other important themes of the Psalms, Psalms in general, not just this Psalm, but this contrast between the righteous man and the wicked man. And what does that actually mean? You know, what distinguishes a righteous man from a wicked man? And, uh, you know, in the Old Testament especially, this kind of tends to trick trip me up, you know? It's like, well, nowadays, you know, we know that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us because he is the propitiation for our sins, right? But in the Old Testament, we kind of have this idea like, oh, Jesus hasn't died yet. It's all works-based, right? Like, it's just kind of, if you do good things, God will be pleased with you. Whoever follows the law the best is who God uh, calls righteous. You know, they they kind of go above the median or, you know, hit some kind of threshold of good works, and that's um, that's what's a righteous man, right? Wrong! <laughs> it is not. That is not how it works. It's not how it works in the Old Testament. Not how it works in the New Testament. God does not did not suddenly change over into a a faith-based system with Jesus. It was always, it was always God's righteousness. It was always faith. We can see in Romans, uh, God taught, or God through Paul, talks about how the Old Testament people were redeemed. We see in Hebrews, of course, that the roll call of faith talks about this cloud of witnesses who can witness <laughs> to the faithfulness of God, right? And how faith saved them. The, not our faith, but God's faith. And if we look here uh, at he, Romans, uh, Romans 4 and 5 talk about this a lot. Um, so let's go to Romans 4, verse, verse 1. Let's start here. What shall we say then? that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Whoa, okay. So this this is kind of the, the meat of uh, a big piece of meat, okay? that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham was not counted righteous because he, um, you know, he followed the law. There was no law for him, for him to follow. Uh, it was just the law that was written in his heart, right? And the law, it was God who, who spoke to Abraham directly. But Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So, um, believing God is faith, right? And this is something that I could talk about a lot, especially in terms of James thinking about faith and works and, uh, justification by faith and not by works and the relationship between Paul's epistles and James and kind of what we learn there, but, and Hebrews, but like, 
the thing is with Abraham, by faith, Abraham, you know, he went out into the land of promise. He offered up Isaac. By faith, Sarah conceived. By faith, all of these things happened. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that faith is doing the thing. Faith is not the work. It is, though, believing God makes you do the thing. If Abraham did not believe that God was able to raise up Isaac from the dead, he would never have offered Isaac up upon the altar. If he did not believe God when God said that Isaac, in Isaac shall thy seed be called, he never would have done it. So the work is is showing, and it is, it is the belief. So, so the believing God, the faith in God, is what actually... Um, is what makes a man righteous before God. And we see here, Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And then David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Wow, okay, so right here. God imputes righteousness without works. And David knew this. David describes this very well. And it's going to quote another psalm here. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. This, this psalm is not the one, it's not Psalm 5 that Paul is quoting here. But Psalm 5 does show this. Um, so... I think that that pretty much covers it, you know, with Romans. I mean, let's look at five real quick. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's by faith and not by works. And, um, and, you know, I think that we also tend to think that Paul kind of interpreted the Old Testament for us. They kind of, the, the Old Testament was was made light, you know, enlightened by Christ. And, and that's partly true that um, Christ, you know, really shed a light on uh, and revealed to us many things that we might not have been able to figure out ourselves. But it's also clear that people in the Old Testament did understand that faith alone was justifying. And uh, we can see that here even in Psalm 5, where, especially in that middle part of starting in verse 7 and going into verse 8, where he says, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. Now, let's think about this. What is mercy, right? Mercy is, how I've always heard it, is mercy is not getting something that you deserve. And grace is getting something that you don't deserve. So mercy, he's acknowledging that he does not deserve to be in God's presence. Uh, he does not deserve to come into God's house. It is only in the multitude of God's mercy that he is able to do so. And then in verse 8, lead me in thy righteousness because of my enemies. And um, so, definitely, uh, he is saying that it is, his, is God's righteousness that he is relying on, 
not his own righteousness. And uh, as we've seen before in the other Psalms, David is very clear that he knows, <laughs> he knows that God is his righteousness and it's not his works that make him righteous before God. And then um, we talked about, oh, as I read this, I keep on seeing more and more things that we talked about. But uh, the last thing that I think it would be good to mention is the uh, discussion about prayer and whether it's okay to pray these imprecatory prayers against people. And one one, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little context. Um, one girl said that she thought it was best if you went to the person first and then maybe you take it to the pastor and then maybe you take it to the congregation if you still can't resolve it. Because the Bible does say that, you know, if you have anything against thy brother, uh, go, leave your gift at the altar, go and reconcile to your brother and then make thy gift. Okay, that is true. But it is also completely wrong that you need to go through all those steps and then pray. Prayer, we need to talk to God before we go talking to anyone else. And this is something that I need to get better about in my life. Not just in difficult situations, but in everything. You know, God is our Father. And God wants us to pray to him. He's, he tells us to pray without ceasing. You know, he didn't say that. It's not like he needs to hear from us to know what's going on in the world. Like we need to keep him updated. But he wants us to pray to him. And absolutely, for sure, he wants us to pray these kinds of things. Like, if we if we keep our feelings bitter, our bitter feelings hidden from him, that does not do anybody any favors. It does not help us. It does not help the person that we are bitter against. I think that really it's impossible to forgive someone if you don't believe that there will ultimately be justice. Um, first of all, if it's a saved person, we know that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And that's I believe in Hebrews 12, that um, God will bring just judgment in this life on Christians who have disobeyed him. And that is a comfort to me, right? And that's something that we should pray for Christians that we know. Like, Lord, would you teach this person? Would you chasten them? Would you bring them, you know, to, to a fuller knowledge of you and, you know, convert bring him back, bring her back, <laughs> you know, don't let her live like this in this sinful state. Uh, that's important. And I think that that's a perfectly fine prayer. What about the unsaved? Um, you know, we say, oh, we should pray for their salvation. We should just pray loving things for them. Okay. Yeah, that's great. We should do that. But let's say an unsaved person. I mean, think about the mass shooters, you know, Yes, we should not go out and light torches and, you know, with a broomsticks, not broomsticks, <laughs> uh, those hay por por fork things 
hay forks and, uh, you know, go out and just bring him to the guillotine or whatever. No, but God is just, God, God punishes the wicked. Let's look here. Destroy thou them, O God. You know, um, where does it say? Thou shalt destroy them. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. The Lord hates all workers of iniquity. In the New Testament, it says God is angry with the wicked every day. I think it's the New Testament. I might, it might not be, but it does say that in the Bible. God is angry with the wicked every day. God will judge people. You know, you look, you take the most extreme example, Hitler. Do we really want Hitler to come to the knowledge of God? Yes, we do. But we also want him to be judged when he was alive. You know, now God has it. We don't need to pray about that anymore. But you look at this evil men, these, you know, Ted Bundy, people who go and they, you know, collect girls from poor people, poor girls from all over the world, including the United States. But Sell them right. They traffic them. They sell them for sex. And we think that God doesn't, they just need to come to a knowledge of God and, and we're just going to pray sweet little prayers. No, we can pray that God will bring them to justice. And we trust that God will bring them to justice. If we do not, if you don't believe that God will judge the person that has hurt you, that has stuck a knife in your chest, in your back, and twisted it, and you think you can just forgive them because, and you know, and there's nothing, they'll, they'll have no consequences for their actions. That's not going to happen. You have to believe that God is going to take care and put the world right. When you have been really hurt, you can't just brush it off and say, oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's not fine. God is going to judge that person and we can take great comfort in that. Um, and, and yes, I think that part of it too, is that comfort that we have allows us to forgive. And we, we order those things before God. And this is the last thing I'll say is that in verse three, uh, we talked a little bit about this phrase in the morning, will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. The prayer is inserted by the translators. And um, the prayer here is, or the offering I will direct, is a word used for people when they would order the sticks for the sacrifice before they, they would offer it to the Lord. And I think that a lot of translations then translate that as sacrifice. I will direct my sacrifice to you. Um, but I think that there's a reason why it's, it's about ordering. It's about placing it out. It's like laying it out before God. I will just put it here, you know, and you will provide the sacrifice. You provide the forgiveness. You provide the judgment. But this is it. This is what's going on in my life. And I trust you. I believe you. I have faith in you that you will take care of it. So I think that this psalm really teaches us to lay it all out before God. It's important to remember that our prayers are not commands to God that he has to follow. We do not command God. We are not his boss. So 
that is very comforting to me, actually, because if I do pray something wrong, um, I don't have to worry about the whole world imploding. You know, God will lead me. God will teach me what was wrong about that prayer, and then I will grow from it. I don't have to worry about my praying, you know, swarms of bears on the heads of young people who I dislike, you know, my, um, God only answers affirmatively prayer that is in line with his will. Romans 8, 26 and 27 illustrate this, and they are very helpful to me. Uh, they say, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So just to reiterate, God the Spirit intercedes for us, and he makes requests for us according to the will of God. So if we pray something out of God's will, if we don't even know what to say, we're just groaning, you know, we're wondering what to say, we're calling out to God, the Spirit makes intercession for us. And that is really, really comforting to me. And a reason why we can pray, um, pray whatever it is that we're feeling to God, tell him about it, bring your cares to God because he cares for you. And that is Psalm 5. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I really learned a lot from discussing this psalm with my group of girls and I hope you did too. Uh, please like, subscribe, and leave a comment uh, or review if you have any comments. Thanks. Have a lovely day.